0: I'd like for you to go with me uh, this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. We are continuing our study here on Sunday evenings of 1 Corinthians, and we come to the fifth chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you're gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus your glorying is not good Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators yet not altogether the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or with the extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. Such a one know not to eat, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to your word tonight and we read this passage and the seriousness of it in light of the sin of this church in Corinth, I pray that you would speak to us by your spirit, give us understanding, and thank you for your mercy and your grace. I pray that you would help us as a church to understand uh, the need to keep the church pure, Help us in our own lives to seek to keep our hearts and minds pure as we live in this dirty world. We pray that you'll be magnified and glorified in every life. And where confession and cleansing needs to be made, we pray that you would help us to do so. We pray that you would help us to keep the church pure. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you on that subject this evening. Keep the church pure. Keep the church pure. In the opening chapters that we have looked at together, Paul has addressed the spirit of pride and division a division that permeated the church at Corinth. He's dealing here with sins of the Spirit. Uh, sins of the heart, attitudes, the attitudes, the arrogance that divided them, the covetousness uh, for prominence and position, their obstinance and their stubbornness toward one another. As we come to chapter 5, we see that Paul is addressing open immorality in the church. And he reproved them here in chapter 5 for the arrogant way that they had brushed this sin to the side or, as we often say, under the rug. And he warned them of the dangerous threat that sin posed to the church and to the cause of Christ. We need to understand something about the church. That is that the church belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to the people. We are a part of the church, thanks be unto God, but it does not belong to us. It belongs to Christ. He established the church. He gave himself for the church, purchasing it with his own blood. He governs the church as its only head. He guides the church through his word and by his spirit, and he guards the church. And may God help us that we would understand the need to guard our hearts and to guard our church. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It is the body and the bride of Christ. It is precious to him. And he takes it very seriously. So should we. So should we. And that is the point the Apostle Paul is making in this passage. Now, we're going to see... Uh, three things that we'll note together here in this text. Number one, the present sin that was in the church, the present sin that was in the church, the proud response from the church, and the painful remedy for the church. We'll notice, first of all, the present sin that was in the church. Notice in verse 1, it is reported commonly that was fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. We see something about this sin, three things we find in this opening verse. Number one, it was open sin. It is reported commonly. That means it was known, not just by a few people, in the church, but by all the people in the church. But not only was it known commonly in the church, it was known commonly in the community, in the city of Corinth. It was open sin. It was ongoing sin. Notice what he says. It is reported commonly that there is present tense, fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have, present tense, his father's wife. This sin was open and it was ongoing. It was happening before them. It was known and it was ongoing. Not only do we see that it was open sin and that it was ongoing sin, but we see that it was obscene sin. It was obscene. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Now, fornication was a prevalent sin in the Corinthian society. When we began our study of this letter to the Corinthians, we noted that Corinth was... Uh, located on a thin peninsula of land, ports on other side, uh, either side rather, shipping ports on either side of that thin stretch of land, and cargo ships were coming and going on all sides. Traffic on all sides. People coming through Corinth all the time, and Corinth was not only famous for its commerce, but it was famous for its idolatry and its immorality. High on a mountain stood one of the wonders of the world. It was the Temple of Aphrodite. It stood some 1,900 feet above sea level, and you could see it for miles. John Phillips, writing about this temple, said, the Temple of Aphrodite with its famous cult statue and its thousand consecrated prostitutes drew thousands of people to Corinth and did a thriving business. Corinth was notorious around the world for its immorality and drunkenness. It was a Greek Sodom. Paul's graphic description of paganism found in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 32 was dictated from this city. You know Romans chapter 1, how that Paul speaks of the immorality and degradation of the pagan heathen world. It's really a summation of where we are today and explains to us exactly how we as a nation have arrived at this point where we are today. And we understand that as Paul penned that, as he wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he had an illustration of it before him, the city of Corinth. It was a wicked city. It was a city where fornication was promoted. Fornication is sexual sin. Let me define that for you. That is all sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage. There is only one sexual relationship that can be pleasing to the Lord. That is the relationship that takes place between a man and a woman who are married in the sight of God. Any other sexual relationship outside of that is a sin against God. We live in a wicked age. We live in an age of immorality. As pervasive as sin and uh, uh, sexual sin and fornication was, in the city of corinth i want to say to you i believe it's just as prevalent if not even more in the united states of america today and in our world it is something that resides the desire for it in the hearts of men and women it is a natural part of our Make up and who we are and who God created us to be that we would desire to be in such a relationship. But Satan has so twisted and perverted that gift that God has given to us and our corrupt minds have fallen so far from the truth and we've yielded so much to our carnal fleshly desires that we as a nation have totally lost what God has given for us and to us. We've totally lost the understanding of it as a society. And if we're not careful, as we live in this society, we will be conditioned by it. And as it appeals to that sin nature within us, we will submit to it and live just like the Corinthians. That is exactly what was taking place in Corinth. But in this particular case, it was even worse. Notice what he says. He said, there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Here's a man who is engaged in an adulterous relationship, a sexual relationship with his father's wife, meaning that his natural father had apparently married a woman who was not his mother, but legally would have been seen in the eyes of the law as a mother, a stepmother. That's the way we would would refer to her today. And here is a man who was in the church who was engaged in an open and ongoing relationship with his father's wife it was obscene so uh, Paul said this kind of thing is not so much as named among the Gentiles with all of their wickedness and all of their immorality and all that was accepted in that culture and let me tell you there was a lot accepted this wasn't accepted But this, not only unacceptable in the world, was happening in the church. The present sin that was in the church, it was open sin. It was ongoing sin. It was obscene sin. Then we see a second thing here in this text. We see the prideful response from the church. Paul said, I want you to know this, this is commonly reported. It, it's out there it's in the news, it's on the streets. People know this about the church at Corinth. Now, remember the Corinthians, were they were gifted people. They, they had a gifted church, but they were lifted up in pride. We see in verse 2, and you're puffed up. That's what he reproved them of in chapter 4, the fact that they were puffed up. They were arrogant. The word puffed means you're inflated. They had an inflated opinion of themselves you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you for I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed so he reproves them for their response and he corrects them to explain to them what type of response they should have had First of all, he says they were puffed up. They were arrogant. They responded in a proud manner. They did not respond in humility. John MacArthur in his commentary on 1 Corinthians writes this. He said, the church arrogantly followed her own feelings and rationalizations rather than God's word and found herself ignoring and perhaps even justifying Flagrant sin in her midst. You see, we live in an age where when people are confronted with sin, they just simply say, Well, that's your truth. It's not my truth. Let me tell you what my truth is. Who are you to judge me? I can do what I want to do, I have liberty. Well, you can say, well, listen, let me help you. Let me explain to you what the Bible says, and this is the word of God, and this is what God has said in his word. And there are people today, sadly, to say it, who were raised in Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches, but have somehow listened to the lies of this culture and been deceived in their own hearts, who would now say, hey, that's not really applicable to me. I can do what I want to do. And they can find all kinds of messengers out here who will echo that same message and help them understand, although it's not true, that make them think that they're okay. And the Corinthians said, hey, wait a minute. We, we got it going on here. Yeah, I heard what brother so-and-so is doing. Maybe he had a position in the church. Maybe he was connected to a family in the church. Nobody wanted to offend them. And so they said, well, you know, I mean, listen, come on now. We're living in Corinth. They were arrogant. Paul said, wait a minute, you you shouldn't be arrogant. You should be mourning like a death has occurred. That, the, that he had, that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. He shouldn't be celebrated. He shouldn't be congratulated. He, he shouldn't even be in the meeting. He should be removed. Can't you hear the objections being raised? Paul, that doesn't sound very loving. I mean, aren't we to be loving? Aren't we to be, I mean, isn't this the place where people can, you know, have their needs met? And yes, it is. Aren't aren't we supposed to be loving? Yes. Aren't we supposed to be forgiving? Yes. But aren't we supposed to be holy also? Yes. You see, if you're a parent, you understand that discipline is not inconsistent with love. You remember the old days when parents used to apply the rod of correction to their children? Some of you apparently don't remember those days. Or maybe the horror of it all has got you in a very somber state. And your parents would say, I'm doing this because I what? I love you. Didn't seem like it though, did it? You see, they got to us little monsters to keep us from growing up and becoming big monsters. And they corrected us. And the Lord corrects his own because he loves them. Hebrews twelve six. For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth, and scourgeth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. There are times when you and I need correction and chastening, and the Lord administers it. And in this situation, He is administering it through the authority of the local New Testament church. So we see the Lord disciplines his church because he loves them. And we will practice discipline in our church if we love our brothers and sisters in the Lord and if we truly love him. Others would say, Paul, you're going to hurt the church. I mean, if you do this, you're going to hurt the church, you know. Well, I mean, it's going. To, word's going to get out. People are going to get their feelings. I mean, this is not going to be good. That's the way we think. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. You're going to run people off. No one's going to want to attend here anymore. You're going to kill the church. Well, I wonder what they thought. Next chapter five. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? They sold their possession, their land, and they, they made pretense of it. Now, they didn't have to do this, but they did it. They 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 wanted everyone to think that they were giving all of the proceeds to the church. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to sell their land and they didn't have to give the proceeds to the church, but many were doing that. They sold their land and gave the proceeds to the church and for the approval of men and the accolades of people and because of the pride of their own hearts they wanted the church to believe that they had given it all they were puffed up and Ananias came in and Peter questioned him about it in verse 3 Peter said Ananias why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost Keep back part of the price of the land. Whiles it remained, was it not in thine own hand? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. You see, it's bigger than just lying to men here, Ananias. You've lied to God. What a futile thing to try to do, to lie to an all-knowing God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. He dropped dead. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Verse 8, his wife has come in now. And Peter answered unto unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carried her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. You say, man, that had to have a sobering effect. Well, it did. Well, that must have been the end of the church. No, 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 it wasn't the end. You see, in our minds, we rationalize, oh, man, I'm telling you what. I mean, if we, if we, if we confront this person over their sin, if we hold them accountable for it and this open, ongoing sin, I, I'm not talking about sneaking around trying to find everybody's sin here, okay? I'm talking about open, ongoing, obscene sin in the sight of everybody. And they said, oh, well, we can't deal with this. I mean, I mean this, it'll hurt the tithing records. It'll hurt our income. It'll cause division. But that's not what happened. Verse 12, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. You know what it did? It empowered the church, and it unified the church. Verse 13, and to the rest, there's no man joined himself to them. But the people magnified them. The people said, I want to tell you something. I mean, this is a pretty serious thing. You, you better really mean business if you're going to join up with that group. There's something different about those people. It's not like the religion of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, the guys that tell everybody what to do but don't do it. These people are actually trying to live up to it. Well, there must be something real going on then. Yes, I think so. Well, maybe we need to listen to Peter and Paul. I think so. Verse 14, and believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. You see, it had the opposite effect. Someone would say, well, well, you know, if we do that, if, I mean, if we do that, it's going to alienate people. They're not going to want to come, and they're not, they're not going to want to be saved. It's going to cause division in the church. No, no what it did is it unified the church. You know, it, it, it stirred the hearts of the people, and uh, they, they awoke to righteousness, and they got serious and earnest, and what happened is people were saved as a result of that, and the church grew. Yeah. You see, in our, in our pride and in our foolish thinking, uh, when we see things like this come across the page of God's word and, and, and come across our hearts, we, we have a tendency to, 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 to filter it in light of the thinking of this world and in light of our own uh, sinful uh, uh, fallen nature and to think, wait a minute, we can't do that. But the truth is we better do it because this is God's church. The present sin in the church, the prideful response from the church, And lastly, we see the painful remedy for the church. The other day, my grandson had fallen, and he had scraped his knee and another place somewhere, (laughs) and my wife was going to put some of uh, her healing balm on him. He's encountered the healing balm, the kind that burns. But this was not the kind that burns. This happened to be, in this instance, the kind that soothes. But you need the kind that burns. The kind that burns removes the infection and cleans the wound and keeps the wound from getting worse. (laughs) I watched him mourn and lament as my wife moved closer to him with the healing bomb. and i thought this isn't going to hurt but you couldn't convince him of it you know healing is painful it's painful and there's a painful remedy for the church now we see it in in three divisions and i'll give them to you and we'll be done first of all a clear command clear command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you're gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ why are you gathering well you're gathering in the name of Christ and you're gathering together and he is present and when he is present his power is there when you gather notice this in verse 5 to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now that sounds pretty radical. What are we going to do? We're going we're to just pick him up, carry him out, and say, here you go, devil, you can have him. We're going to call the devil up and say, come get him. What is he saying here? He's saying you're going to remove him from the fellowship of the church. Now, remember, this sin is open and ongoing and obscene. That's important for us to distinguish. We'll look at that in just a moment. This is not a guy who's messed up and having a struggle. This is a guy who won't listen to anybody and who is continuing in his sin, and he thinks it's perfectly okay for him to do whatever he wants to do. So this clear command comes. Remove him from fellowship of the church. He will then be removed from the protection that we enjoy in the house of God. This building is not the house of God. It's an auditorium where we meet, but it does have a roof. And this roof protects us uh, from storms and from cold weather and, and different things like that. The Heat of the sun beating down on us at times. We are protected because we have a roof. When you get out from underneath that roof of protection, underneath that umbrella of God's protection, under the protection of God's people and his fellowship, then you are out in the world. Do you know who the God of this world is? The devil. And when you're outside the protection of God's hand and God's people and God's blessing then you are open to the attacks of Satan. Paul is saying you deliver him over. You remove him from the fellowship of the church. Now, you may have some questions right here, and I'm going to try to answer them, but bear with me. I'll try to answer them in just a moment. And what may happen to him if he continues to, unrepentant in his sin is that he may suffer the destruction of the flesh the ravages of sin in his body in his mind in his heart ultimately to the point it may claim his life what a dreadful thing but there's some good news Because if he was a Christian, though his body could be destroyed, his soul will be saved. It's a clear command. Then there's a careful consideration. Something we need to think about here. Verse 6 your glorying is not good, your puffed up attitude, your arrogance. Oh, that's not that bad. I mean, we got liberty. We, You know, come on, come on. Don't tell me that's sin. That's the culture we live in. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Here's a principle. Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, there's a reference here to the Passover. And at the Passover, the Israelites gathered around the table and uh, they ate unleavened bread. They removed the leaven from the bread. The leaven in the bread would cause the bread to rise. Before they would make or bake, rather, the, the the dough, before they would bake the bread, they would take a pinch of the dough and stick it in water and that leaven in that water that dough would begin to ferment and they would use that to spread that into other mixtures of dough to make sure that the bread would rise it became a symbol of sin and its influence just a little leaven can leaven the whole lump just a little sin that we allow in our lives and we do like to pet our sin can leaven the whole lump it can cause it can cause Uh, great damage. It can spread and, and permeate throughout the church. And so he gives the illustration of this Passover and the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Passover. He was sacrificed for us. He died for us. He made the payment for our sin to remove that sin from us. And if it cost him so dearly as his own blood Should we not take it, therefore, seriously and know that sin is not something that we should play with? And so he said, remove it. There's a careful consideration. And so separation from the unrepentant sinning church member is necessary for two things, really. Number one, for the health of the church because that leaven can leaven the whole lump. And number two, for the hope of the lost. Because if the church is going to be what it needs to be, then the church has to remain pure. It doesn't have to remain perfect because it's not perfect now, right? But it needs to remain pure. Paul would write to them in 2 Corinthians 12 in verse number 20. He was following up some of his uh, comments and those that we're reading here in chapter number five, and we'll look at a few more passages before we're done. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, for I fear, verse 20, for I fear lest when I come. When I come to visit you, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as you would not. In other words, I'm afraid I'm going to find you not pure, and you're going to find me stern. You know, like when your dad would come home and you had clear responsibilities to do that day, and you didn't do it, and then he came in the house and you hadn't you hadn't done what you were supposed to do. You remember that look? Yeah. I shall be found unto you, such as you would not, lest there be debates. Here's the problems. He's 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 anticipating there'll be debates, there'll be envies, there'll be wraths, strifes backbitings, whisperings, swellings, swellings, person against person, puffed up, tumults, unless when I come again, my God will humble me among you that I shall be well many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed in other words if you don't deal with this matter it's going to create an acceptance an atmosphere of acceptance and toleration of sin that will spread beyond that one man and infiltrate the whole church the next time i come it's going to be heartbreaking You see, as the world has tried to be, or excuse me, as the church, in an effort to make its message more palatable, more acceptable to the world, has become more like the world and has accepted more of the philosophy and indoctrination of the world, it has become more corrupt and unclean and therefore has lost its power. And it's purity. And God wants His people to live in purity. Now, you and I know what a struggle that is, right? Do you struggle with purity? In your heart, in your mind, purity of motive, purity of thought, purity of heart, purity of mouth, and what you say? You see, we will surely sin because our flesh resists the spirit Paul said I don't want to do it but I I do it I, I do the things I don't want to do the sinful things then he said and and the things I know I, I should do I, I I don't do them and I sit down next to Paul and I say oh, you're making me feel a little better because I got the same problem and probably worse But I'm glad to know that when I sin, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we sin, if we confess our sin, you see, here's the thing that the man wouldn't do in verse number one. He wouldn't confess it. And nobody in the church wanted to mess with him or talk to him about it. But had he simply confessed it, do you know what would have happened? He would have been cleansed of it and forgiven. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sin and to cleanse us. all, including the ongoing, open, obscene sin of this man of all unrighteousness cleansing stream i see i see i see and oh it cleanses me yes praise the lord it cleanses me i get dirty in this world i'm going to tell you right now i get dirty and and so do you we need the cleansing stream the priest would go to that laver and they would wash themselves washing their hands and washing their feet Every moment, every day, we need to be at the labor, at the altar, in the presence of Jesus, confessing our sin, keeping short accounts with God. And He will cleanse and forgive. And if you've been to that cleansing stream, then you've been made clean. And when you get dirty again, go back to it. And then when the devil wants to drag it all up, you just say, "Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> You're the accuser of the brethren. I've been washed in the blood, the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Yes, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. You got that right. But I have a wonderful Savior who loves me and has saved me, and he's cleansed me according to his word. Now, you say, well, I, I tell you what, this message, I mean, I don't even know if I ought to be here tonight after hearing this. Well, if you've got open, unconfessed, ongoing sin in your life then you need to confess it and you need to get clean no matter how big it is no matter how small it is you need to do that and jesus christ will cleanse you you see as i said we don't have to be perfect but we do need to strive to be pure then lastly we see there's a critical a critical critical excuse me i can't speak english tonight Pray for me, a critical clarification. A critical clarification. Verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. In other words, don't get mixed. Don't have that in your congregation. I I, I don't want to shock you tonight, but there are fornicators here. And such were what? Some of you. There are forgiven fornicators in our church. He who looks at a man to, or excuse me, he who looks at a woman and lusts after her in his heart hath committed what adultery with her already. Right? I'm not going to take a poll, but I, I doubt we can find a man who hasn't violated that principle. Such were some of you. He's saying, but if it's open, if it's ongoing, if they're unrepentant and they're in the church, then you need to remove them from the fellowship and you do not need to have company with them. Now, he gives this clarification. Yet not altogether the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world but now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or a covetousness or covetous or idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat for what have I to do to judge them also that are without do not ye judge them that are within but them that are without God judges therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now, he makes a, 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 there's a critical clarification for us. He distinguishes between the sins of the world, the unsaved world, and the sins of the church, those who company, those who are part of the assembly of the church. He says you cannot separate from the world because you live in it. You live among them. You work with them. You shop with them. Some of uh, of you who have lost family members, you're related to them. You may go to reunions or events. These are unsaved people. But if they are Christians and they are in the congregation, then those are the people that you need to remove or sever from your fellowship. That's the clarification. Now, when we we do this, we have to understand what the purpose of this is. Go with me to Matthew chapter 18, would you? We'll just have a few more references to look at, and then we'll be through. Matthew chapter number 18. The Lord Jesus Christ established the church, and here he's dealing with this matter of discipline in the church. In Matthew chapter 18, in verse number 15, he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. <clears throat> so if somebody does you wrong, how should you handle it? Tell your best friend. <laughs> Tell as many people as you can to get as much sympathy as you can and much support as you can so everybody will know you're a good guy and they're a bad guy. No. That's what we do in our flesh, and that causes critical problems. But what God has commanded that we do is we go and talk to that person alone. If he shall hear thee, that's an important statement, If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So now if you go to him and he he says, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and ask for forgiveness, then your relationship is what it ought to be. If you go to him and he won't listen to you, then you go and you take two or three brothers or sisters with you and you speak to this person again so that every word may be established. It's not hearsay. It's not you against them. You have witnesses. Verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. You see here, there are stages before we ever get to turning him out, delivering him over to the devil. There are stages in this process where we are seeking reconciliation, where we are seeking repentance and restoration. Verse 17, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. Then it becomes an open thing that the church must deal with. But if he neglect to hear the church, he won't hear the person he's offended. He won't hear the two or three witnesses that are there. And now he will not hear the church. He will not submit to to the authority of the local New Testament church, the authority of Christ and his word. He will not submit to that. Once you have got to that stage, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. In other words, you count him almost as as one who is outside the family of God, And, and you do not fellowship, you do not include him in to the the fabric of the ministry of the local New Testament church. He's removed. And why are you doing that? You're doing that so that he will understand the seriousness of his sin and so that he will have an opportunity to repent. Because if you do not do that, he continues in it. He is lifted up in pride and there is no place for repentance Paul writes concerning his instruction here in first Corinthians 5 he he writes of it again in second Corinthians we turn there I'm wrapping up you said pastor you've been telling us that for quite a while now I really am I'm trying to hurry second Corinthians 4 2, 2, Corinthians 2, verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Paul said, I, I'm not mad when I write these words. I, I'm writing to you with a broken heart. If a church is to administer discipline, it should do so with a broken heart, not with a bad attitude. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me. But in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrariwise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul is saying to them, when you administer this discipline, do so in love. Do it with a broken heart. Do it with tears. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8, He writes again concerning this topic. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. In other words, I I don't regret it. I I, I, I don't wish I hadn't written it. I, I had to write it. God gave it to me. He said, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. In other words, when they got this news about this brother and his sin, it it, it made them sorrowful. Verse 9, Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner. The sorrow that they were confronted with. Now, remember, Paul's not writing to this man. He's writing to the church concerning this man and the response to him and his sin. And he's reproving them for their arrogant attitude, for their disregard for the truth that God had given them. And he's saying, when you were confronted with that, when you were made sorry, you sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Now notice verse 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. You see, when we have a godly sorrow, not a worldly sorrow, here's what a worldly sorrow says, get me out of this trouble. Change my situation. A godly sorrow says I have violated the law of God, the truth of God. I have broken the heart of God. I brought reproach upon the name of God, and I am sorry for that. That works genuine, godly sorrow repentance but this repentance that says well you know i got caught and i'm in trouble and you know i just want out of trouble and we all get that right i mean we all get that way that's worldly sorrow so he says in verse 10 for godly sorrow work repentance to salvation not to be repented of you see when i get worldly sorrow after after uh, the consequences smolder down i can go right back and do the same thing but when I have godly sorrow, I may go back and do the same thing, but I'm just not going to jump right back into it so easily. And maybe not at all because I've repented. Verse 11 For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What? carefulness it wrought in you, yea, a clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge in all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. In other words, you got pretty serious about this. You examined your heart. You examined your motives. You made sure that you made the right steps. You were concerned about what God had to say about the matter, and you did not want to displease Him. And it changed the way you lived your life, it changed the way you conducted the business of the church. You repented after a godly sorrow. It's painful, but it's the remedy. And without the remedy, the infection will spread and the church will lose its power. And so we see here that God intends for us to do our best to keep the church pure. If there's present sin in our lives, then I've got good news for you. You can confess it and he will forgive you and he will cleanse you. So tonight, if God is speaking to you about your own sin, I want to encourage you to come and make it right. If you have a response like this church had—one of pride—that says, "Now wait a minute! Now wait a minute! Honestly, uh, that 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 doesn't apply to me." And 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 you know, I can do what I want to, and I have liberty in Christ. Then then you need to confess that arrogant spirit. You need to humble yourself and bring yourself under the authority of the Word of God. And then follow God's plan for a remedy for the church. A clear command, a careful consideration, and a critical clarification. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.